If you would turn in your Bible to Jeremiah chapter 5 for a moment. And in our study of Jeremiah, we have come to chapter 29. But in order to go back there, to get back there, just to remind us, if you would, Israel, Judah, Jerusalem, the two tribes in the south are there. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has come in uh, in 605 B.C. and taken captives. He'd taken them again, taken them again in 597. And, uh, and in where we are looking in Jeremiah 29, we're looking at the last king, Zechariah the last king. Now, so here, in keeping that in mind, what was Israel's mood and movement, and you would want to recall chapter 5, and remember in verse 12, they have belied the Lord and said, it is not he, neither shall evil come upon us, neither shall we see sword nor famine. And the little word belied is intensive, and it means to reduce, to reduce down to nothing, to, to make little, to take something big and make it small, to reduce it down in size, to make it small-sized, if you would. And what do they do then? Uh, they have gone, and how do, we, how do they get along with God? Uh, they reduced him down to man-size, so that God was fit their thinking, their mood, how they wanted to understand God, and God could be to them whatever they, he, they wanted it to be. Now, having said that, in the light of that, and the, so the letter that is written, remember, in chapter 29, uh, to the, peop uh, the uh, Israelites and Ezekiel in Babylon, uh, that was taken and written because the prophets in Jerusalem had said, and you, uh, on the way back, you might as well stop there a second just to pick it up in thought, uh, chapter 27. And you recall in verse 16, And he spake to the priest and to all the pe this people, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Hearken not to the words of your prophets. What were they saying? That prophesy unto you, saying, Behold, the vessels of the Lord's house Shall not short, shall now shortly be brought back again from Babylon, and for they, for they, for they prophesy a lie unto you. So keeping that in mind, if you would, in in the process here, uh, that they were told that any moment it's going to come back, and uh, everything that Nebuchadnezzar has taken. Those two times is going to bring him back. The people will come back. All the stuff he took from the temple will come back. That's what they were told. And remember, we did all that. Now, chapter, if you would, over to chapter, uh, in that chapter, picking up if I can, uh, in that chapter 28. And in chapter 28, you remember the prophet Hananiah. Hananiah. Zedekiah, the king, and, and Hananiah, the prophet. And he said in verse 3, 
it's going to happen in two full years. So he told them. He even predicted the time in two years. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar is going to bring everything back. Now, that was the mood and movement, and that's what people were there in Jerusalem, and uh, they were told to go to Babylon and be safe, but they didn't do it. And they're still there. And, and they're told by the prophets, the false prophets, uh, that everything's going to be very fine and everything will work out in a good way. Now, so having said that and keeping that in mind, if you would, over in chapter 29, uh, if I can, uh, in uh, chapter 29, picking up please, uh, in verse 10. And in chapter 29 and verse 10, Thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you in causing you to return to this place, Jerusalem. But it's not going to be in two years, it's going to be in 70 years. And when 70 years are up, and you remember that's a year for the Israelites did not keep the Sabbath year, a whole year, and they failed to do that. So all of that added up to 70 years that they're going to be make up. The land is going to be without them for 70 years, as it were. Now, having said that little bit, and God's going to do his wonderful purpose, and you'll see that in verse 11, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. Now remember, they had one thing in mind. They're looking for the false prophets and the message of the false prophets to, to come to pass. And that's what they're thinking. And God said, in chapter 10, verse 11, 4, God said, I know what you're thinking. We shared all that. God said, I know what you're thinking and what you want. But what you're thinking and what you want is not what's going to happen. It's going to be according to my thinking and what I'm going to do. Now, we shared all of those wonderful things so that we could personally have the benefit of what they failed to know we need to know. Now, having said that little bit and keeping that in mind, so God's going to outwork. You see the end of verse 11? I, to give you an expected end, a future hope, future end, God is going to have a wonderful, wonderful future for them. But it isn't going to happen yet. It's going to take, it's going to be in the 70 years, but then in, in the Great Tribulation, it'll happen then in the future. Now, so there's a wonderful future for Israel, but they are not in the place to understand it or to enjoy it. So therefore, what are they doing? Well, they're going every day in and out of the temple, and they go in there for many reasons, and, and they do that, and they in and out. But you know what? They go in and out of the temple, and they never meet God. They never see God. They never think about God. In and out, in and out, of, using our language, the church, in and out of the church, but they never found God. They aren't even looking for God. In and out they go, in and out they go, and, and uh, they, can't, they, they, go, they don't come to grips with God. Jeremiah chapter 7, chapter, yeah, chapter 7. Jeremiah in chapter 7. And you recall, 
in chapter 7, picking up, please. And remember what they were doing back then, as we did that, chapter 7, sliding over, if I can, to verse 4. What were they saying over and over, over to themselves? Trust, trust, they were going to say, trust ye not in the lying words. What were their words? The temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord are these. In other words, this is God's temple that, by way of, uh, by way of uh, Solomon, etc., etc. And therefore, therefore, it's God's. Uh, no one's going to do anything to God's. We're safe as can be because the temples. It's like having a little relic, and you say, "This is this going to protect me from the evil one," you know. And, and they have that. So that's what they're doing. They're claiming the temple, but they have forgotten. What have they forgotten? They have forgotten. Well, let me read verse 10 while you're here. Chapter 7, verse 10. And come and stand before me in this house, that's the temple uh, which Solomon built, which is called by my name and say, we are delivered to do all these abominations. In other words, God, we're using, like our Lord said in Matthew 21, what did he say? My house is a house of prayer, and you have made it a den of thieves. That's what you've done. And then he did what he did. You have taken my house and made it your house. And it isn't your house. It's my house. But you've made it your house in totality. Therefore, chapter 7 in looking, verse 11. In this house, which is called by my name, this, which, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your eyes. Behold, even I have seen it, saith the Lord. You have made it abomination, a place of abomination. It isn't my place anymore. I don't even recognize anything in it. And remember, they had done a very, very bad things in that temple and pornography and everything. It just wasn't very good. Now, having said that little bit and keeping that in mind, over, if you would please, over in your, in your while you're here in Jeremiah, over to, oh, let's go to do this, over to Jeremiah chapter 7. Well, you're still there, good. Jeremiah chapter 7. May I pick up now, remember now, God, here they are, in and out, in and out. It's a house of prayer. It's a temple where they to come to know God, to worship God, to honor God. And so when you come to, in this movement, and his, as they're going through all these kings and movement in Jeremiah's day, chapter 7, verse 16, therefore, God, what are you going to say? They've made it, they've taken and made it a den of thieves, your, the temple. Therefore, verse 16, pray not thou for this people, neither lift up cry nor prayer for them, neither make intercession to me. Why not? For I will not hear thee. There's no point in you telling me something to do something. They're set, and the plan is set, the future is set, and Nebuchadnezzar is going to take the temple down and the city. is isn't going to change. And chapter 11, you know, just one other, this, each place, God says it, but one more to see it. 
in chapter seven, uh, chapter eleven, excuse me. And in chapter eleven, God is going to say it again. Verse fourteen. Therefore, pray thou not for this people, neither lift up cry nor prayer, a little word prayer, for in for them, for I will not hear them in the in the time that they cry unto me for their trouble. In other words, they're going to yell wolf, wolf, and nine one one, but it's too late to call nine one one, too late. And you can keep going in chapter fourteen, etc. So pray not, and the pray, the word prayer, the verb prayer, is is reflexive. They themselves, the pray, where does the prayer come from? It comes from them. The prayer is to come out of them. The prayer to bow down, to bow down, to cast oneself down, to throw oneself down, to pray, to bow, to bow. That's they choose to do that. That's the verb. You choose to pray. You choose to bow down. You choose to fall down in my presence. <laughs> and and that's the verb. So we're looking at that now. And so in the light of that, in the light of that, they're not to pray, uh, not to pray the Jeremiah and them. There's no sense in praying because they're not going to change. They aren't going to change. If they did, it would be different, but they aren't going to change. They're just stuck. Now, having said that, now, and, and they're going to end up in captivity. Now, Deuteronomy already told them that's what's going to happen. That's going to happen. You guys are all going to end up in captivity, and, and etc. Now, here's King Solomon dedicating this temple that they're going in and out of, and they've forgotten all about God. Now, here they are. Here's this temple, and Solomon dedicates it. Now, how does he dedicate this temple? Over to First Kings, as you recall. And in 1 Kings chapter 8, and you will note, oh, and you'll pick up the flavor of it. I'm going to give you the, it's an awesome chapter, but we'll have to do it quickly, uh, not the whole thing. Uh, chapter 8, 1 Kings, I'm going to go down to verse 5. This is the introduction to the prayer to the dedicating of the temple. And King Solomon and all the congregation of Israel that were assembled unto him him, were with him before the ark, sacrificing sheep and oxen that could not be told nor numbered for their multitude. Now what were they doing as they're going to dedicate, going to dedicate the temple. And and you, you can't count the animals that are being sacrificed. You can't count them. Now, I'm going to jump all the way to the end of the dedication, over to chapter 8. And in chapter 8, picking up again, and verse 63. And Solomon offered a sacrifice, this is just his, (laughs) a peace offerings, uh, which he offered unto the Lord, uh, how much? Two and twenty thousand, twenty-two thousand oxen, and a hundred and twenty thousand sheep. So the king and all the children of Israel dedicated the house of the Lord. Now, 
with you without I have no way to help you understand this. I just can't think of I'm just I think just think of a pile of animals. I just can't imagine it. God knows how he does how these things all happen. But I gotta tell you, I would be impressed if I was looking down from a mountaintop and I saw all that. Thousands of animals. Thousands. That's how important that's how important the temple was. That's how important God in the temple was. In the temple. <laughs> and remember now, back over to chapter 8, uh, in picking up please, uh, in verse 11, or verse 10 and 11. It came to pass, 8, 10, and it came to pass when the priests were come out of the holy place, that the cloud filled the house of the Lord, so that the priest could not stand to minister. Why? Because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord had filled the house, filled the house of of the of the of, of the of, of the Lord. He filled the filled the house. Off, awesome, 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 awesome occasion. Now, interestingly, are you going to talk about? Blessing, no. You're going to do what, Sullivan? You're going to pray. Because you what? What's going to happen? Zedekiah is going to come along, the last king. They're all going to end up. Assyria's already been taken 136 years ago by the Assyrians. And here's the Babylonians. And they're all going to end up taking over and leveling the temple and leveling the city of Jerusalem. And Solomon, that's what you're going to look at. But you're just, you're just dedicating this temple. Why would you go and talk about its end when you're just dedicating it with thousands of animals? Because, over if you would, chapter 8, and picking up if I can, chapter 8, and picking up in verse O. Oh, Verse 22, you'll pick it up all over the place. We just can't, just enough to sample it. And Solomon stood, chapter 8, verse 22, and Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in, in, in the presence of the congregation of Israel and spread forth his hands toward heaven. And he said, Lord, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above or on earth beneath who keepeth covenant and mercy with thy servants, that walketh before thee with all their heart. Who hath kept, verse 24, who hath kept with thy servant David my father, that thou promised him, thou speakest, spakest also with thy mouth, and hast fulfilled it with thy hand, as it is this day. The fulfillment of what God promised David, that a temple would be built uh, for the glory of God, and uh, Solomon has been the, been the uh, instrument, the CEO, whatever you want to call it, uh, to make it happen. Now, having said that little bit, verse 26. And now, O Lord, go, O God of Israel, let thy word, I pray thee. Now remember, we're looking at the little word prayer. We're going to get there fast, I hope. <laughs> verse 26. And now, O God of Israel, let thy word, I pray thee, be verified, which thou spakest unto thy servant David, my father. But will God indeed dwell on the earth? Solomon, you know. Behold, the heaven 
and the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee. How much less this house which I have builded. This, this temple can't hold you, God. Nothing can hold you. That's correct. Verse 28. Yet have thou respect unto the prayer of thy servant and to his supplications, O Lord, my God, to hearken unto the cry and to the prayer, again, which thy servant prayeth before thee this day. Verse 29. That thine eyes may be opened toward this house night and day, even toward the place which thou hast said, My name shall be there, that thou mayest hearken unto the prayer which thy servant shall make toward this place. Verse 30. Hearken thou to the supplication of thy servant, and when they shall pray toward this place, and hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, when thou hearest, forgive. Now, so they understand they're they're, that people aren't, they're there in Solomon's day, but they really aren't quite there. So now, therefore, Solomon says, this is your place. This is what you told, this is what you told Moses to do. This is what David did. This is what I'm fulfilling, what David and Moses and all that you promised them. So here's the temple in all of its, all of its magnificence. Verse 33. And when thy people Israel be smitten down before the enemy, because they have sinned against thee, and shall turn again to thee, and confess thy name, and pray, and make supplication unto thee in this house. In this house. Now, if they, if they could do that, if they would just turn and come into the temple uh, prayerfully and, 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 and humbly come into the temple, they aren't doing that. They're going in and out, going in and out. But, but the temple was there. Now the temple was there, even though they are abusing it horribly, treating it badly. Uh, God, they should have known. Solomon said, "This is your house," even though they made it their house. So now, having said that, keeping that in mind, and they 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 made it. Verse thirty-five. And and uh, in verse thirty-five, uh, when heaven is shut up. And there is no rain, because they have sinned against thee, if they pray toward this place, and confess thy name, and turn from their sin, when thou afflictest them, etc. Then thou hear, and then hear thou in heaven, and forgive the sin of their servants, and of thy people Israel. Why? That, they may te- that thou may teach them the good way wherein they should walk, and give rain unto their land, which thou hast given to thy people for an inheritance. So, they, 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 they are, they, and back in Solomon, all the people had to do is don't misuse the temple. Don't let the temple lose its holiness. Don't let the temple lose its sacredness. Don't let it lose. It's where God put his ark, the mercy seat. It's where you get to God in a human, earthly movement by way of the temple. Now, don't mess that up. But, and you're going to go further than that, right? And if I can, verse 38. What prayer and what supplication, soever he be, he be made by any man, or by all the by people Israel, which shall know every man the plague of his own heart, and spread forth his hand toward this house, then hear thou in heaven thy dwelling place, and forgive and do 
and give to every man according to his ways, whose heart thou knowest. For even thou only knowest the hearts of all the children of Israel, not children of men. God, you know them. So you know, so if anyone, anyone, they come and they look to understand the temple, God's place, and that God had committed himself to it, committed himself, and if they would exercise it. Now that would be true even in the days of Zedekiah. But they aren't doing it. They just aren't doing it. And it's going to go, if we keep going just a little more, uh, if I can, over to, uh, well, well, for time's sake, over to verse 56. In the light of it, blessed be, here's Sullivan's prayer, going to tell you, when they go into captivity, when they get scattered, when they're all over the place, if they turn to this place and pray. So it's going to be mentioned, all of the different settings, different situations. So when we come to verse 56, as we're coming to the end, blessed be the Lord that hath given rest unto this people, Israel, according to all that he promised. There hath not failed one word of all his good promise, which he promised by the hand of Moses' servant, etc. And you're going to slide down and slide down. Verse 57, the Lord our God be with us as he was with our fathers. Let him not leave us, nor forsake us. Incline our hearts. Verse 58, incline our hearts unto him to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, his statutes, his judgments, which he commanded thy fathers. Sliding to verse, verse 60, let that, why are we, why is it, why are you praying, why are you saying all this? Why should they understand the temple's value and its place? God has made it that way. Verse 60, that all the people of the earth may know that the Lord is God and that there is none else. Verse 61, let your heart therefore be perfect with the Lord, complete with the Lord our God to walk in his statutes, and to keep his commandments as it is this day. And the king and all Israel with him offered sacrifice unto the Lord, etc. And we just read that. So, God, here there's a wonderful, wonderful prayer. Now, God, what, what is Solomon counting on? Chapter 9. First Kings chapter 9. What did Solomon know for sure? That's why he could pray that prayer. Chapter 9, picking up, please, uh, in verse 3. And the Lord said unto him, I have heard thy prayer and thy supplications that thou hast made before me. I have hallowed, holy, consecrated this house, the temple, which thou hast built, and I put, and put my name there for how long? Forever. And mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. So... I want you to know, and David knew that. So even if the temple's down, which is going to be covered earlier in 1 Kings 8, you can look to God, go, like looking to Mecca, only they were to look to Jerusalem, to the temple, wherever they were scattered throughout the world. Now, first, Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles, I can, uh, in chapter 7. Second Chronicles in chapter 7. May I pick up the thought, uh, if I can? Uh, if I can, in verse 16. For now I have chosen and sanctified this house, 
that my name may be there forever, forever, and mine eyes and my heart shall be there perpetually. Verse 17, as for thee, if thou wilt walk before me as David thy father walked, and do according to all that I have commanded thee, and observe my statutes and my judgments, etc., etc., and he's going to go and speak all of the wonderful things uh, that God's going to do. And uh, even pick it up a little little ahead of that, go back to th- verse 13, just to fill in ahead of it. Verse 13, chapter 7, verse 13. If I shut up heaven, that there be no rain, if or I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people, if my people, verse 14, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked way, then will I hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Now mine eyes shall be open and mine ears attend unto the prayer that is made in this place, which they were not making. For now, verse 16, have I chosen and sanctified this house, the temple, that my name shall be, may be there forever, and mine eyes and mine heart shall be there perpetually. So God had made a commitment. And they were to understand God's commitment by even to look praying, understanding that's where God, Israel may have caused the removal by Nebuchadnezzar of the temple and the city. But that's where God's place is. They may have done whatever, and God did whatever, but it's still God's place. There is no other place on the face of forever. God, before even when he, in the coming up in the kingdom, a thousand years, and coming up in a new heaven and a new earth, Jerusalem is the city. There is no other place. There is no other city. It's Jerusalem. Now, hang on to that if you can. So, having said that little bit and keeping that in mind, if you would. So, what are we going to do uh, if you're there uh, and uh, they don't want to change anything and they're going to go in and out of the city, uh, in and out of the temple, and they have no interest in looking to God at all, and they don't need to look to God because they've lowered God down to be man-sized in them, and they made God to be something that they think and feel, and that's good enough for them. Now, they're dead in sins, and they need to be saved. And we share together in the little bit we did at the moment uh, that the dedication of the great temple of Solomon took thousands of animals. Wow. Just to show how they considered the cross, considered the temple. That understanding of the temple was no more existent in the days of Zedekiah and the people of Jerusalem and Judah. They, had no, they didn't understand that for nothing. Now, having said that little bit, and, and in the light of everything, if you would, over to O Romans in chapter 5. Romans in chapter 5. And you will know, please, if I can, picking up, please, uh, in verse 8. But God commendeth his love toward us in that while 
We were yet sinners. Christ died for us. That's the cause. That's what took thousands and thousands of animals. And Hebrews 10, a thousand zillion animals. But never enough. There's no way enough. There's nothing humans can do to ever answer the problem of sin and the deadness of their heart. Nothing ever can be done. Wow. God had to do it. But all of that, thousands of animals in this case, is how necessary it was. How costly it was. Thus, Romans 5.10. Much more then, being now made justified, declared righteous by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. If God's going to, if Christ died on the cross and, and took care of our death, can you imagine that he rose again and took care of our life? That's awesome. He took care of our death. I don't believe it. He did. He paid the price. His precious blood. Now, having said that, and in the light of that, let me try to go and get that. And, and, and one other thing that will help us, I don't want to go too fast. Back over, if you would, I'm coming back to New Testament. Back over to um, Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah chapter 65. Now, remember God has said, my name is perpetually there. It's the place forever. So anyone that ever wants to know, no matter what Jerusalem looks like, and if it is occupied or not, is immaterial. That is the city. That is the place where God's going to go. And in the process, the future, we read that and just touched in it, in Jeremiah 29, an expected end. God has a wonderful future. That's what everyone needs. Whatever's going on, God has a wonderful future. Israel isn't connected. They disconnected from God, and therefore their future got disconnected. Now, so here's Isaiah 65 in the millennium. In the millennium. Interesting. Chapter 65, picking up, please, uh, in verse 18. But, you, but be ye glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem a rejoicing and a people a joy. That's the future. <laughs> I will rejoice in Jerusalem, verse 19, and joy in my people. And the joy and the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. It's a wonderful, wonderful thing God's going to do in the millennium. Sliding down, sliding down to verse 24. And it shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Now, we can't go back because that time is gone. But if you went back to Jeremiah and chapter 29 and verse, verse 11, 12, verse 12, and when Israel is ready after 70 years and the tribulation adding that, they're going to come to me then 
and they're going to pray. That's what they're going to do. And I'm going to hear their prayer, and I'm going to answer it. But they aren't going to be able to, remember we just read in chapter 7, Jeremiah, don't pray, don't bother even talking to me, talking to God about praying and helping this people. They're all, they've got all the help they're going to have. It's all finished. They're going to have Nebuchadnezzar level the city. Not going to fix it. But in the millennium, God, what are you going to do? Verse 24 again. Before they call, there's your same verb. Before they call, I will answer. answer. And while they are speaking, I will hear. You don't even have to say it. God's going to answer it before you even understand it. Isn't that neat? In a millennium, you won't even have to have a prayer. I hear you. I know your thought. I know your need. I'm going to do it. That's awesome. Now, hang on to that part. Now, over if you would, please. Oh, oh well, one point. Oh boy. Uh, First Corinthians. First Corinthians. And 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And in 1 Corinthians chapter, I want you to look, you, you want, I know you know this, but I'm going to have it, you look at it in a little different way. Maybe, maybe. Now, here's 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I'm going to go directly in the light of context and everything, as you know. Verse 19. What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? Why not? For you are bought with a price. What kind of price? Thousands and thousands of animals? No, that, was, that could never pay. It cost God himself to die on that cross. That's the cost. That's the cost. I'm going to read it again. Verse 20. For you are bought with a price. And think of Solomon's temple. Think of all of it. And uh, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So God, here's Israel, and here's Israel over there now. Do we have a temple in Jerusalem? A temple in Palestine? There's no temple. Where do you guys go to pray? Oh, we go to synagogue. Do you really pray? No, we just do. We hope God will answer somehow. God in his wonderfulness would answer, and he does. Now, having said that little bit and keeping that in mind, so looking to God, Israel, and Israel, you don't have a temple. And remember Romans 11 and that, God's provoking Israel uh, by way of the Gentiles, by way of the church, by way of his body, which we just read, verse 19 and 20. That's a person's body. So God, what do we know? Well, God, what are you doing? Well, we don't, the, Israel doesn't have a temple, no. Uh, the, the church isn't, doesn't have a temple? No, we don't. You are the temple, aren't you? You are the temple, Aren't you? Aren't you the body? Think about it. If you really think about that, 
Just touch your hand. See if you're alive there. You ready? Who's that? Who's that? Who's that belong to? I'll go up and down. Who's that belong to? If you're saved, if you're really saved, you don't have to be saved because then you won't know what I'm talking about. But if you're really saved, that body that I'm looking at and that I could look in the mirror is His. Do you understand that? It isn't yours. Didn't you just read that? It isn't yours. It's his. Do you live like that? It isn't your house. It isn't your job. It isn't your family. All of that is wonderfully true. But you have a whole relationship to God who now manages. He, if Israel was with it, God would have blessed Israel like he will in the millennium. They won't even have to pray, say anything. Wow. God would have blessed Israel all these years. Uh, but no. And here's the church. And the churches, churches, and all the apostasy and everything out there going on. But you know what? If you ask the average believer, you're not your own. Do you realize you made his place your place, haven't you? In our flesh, in our carnality. We've taken his place, which he says. Now, by the way, by the way, I, I can't be too much of a pest, so you're safe, time-wise. <laughs> How true do you think we're in the presence of God? If you're saved, if you're really saved, you don't, that isn't your house anymore. It's his temple, it's for him. To run it, own it, out, outwork his wonderful will in your life. Now, is that true? Can you make it untrue? How's that? How do you make it not true? Well, I don't want. If you're truly saved, you bet your boots it's his temple. It's his body. If you're really saved, if you aren't saved, you're safe as can be. But if you're saved... It's his body. It's his temple. Whether you like it or not, want it or not, dream it or not, you can't be saved without understanding it's his. And I, the quicker I learn to adjust to that, I enjoy the benefits of God's wonderful grace and mercy in my life because I'm understanding it. Does that make sense to you? I'm trying to, I know that's a problem. Oh, I would go to church and come. no. You are the church. You are the temple. No, we don't, no one practices that. I just say it so, the, whatever. <laughs> That's true, though, isn't it? True. I got to quit. I, I told you, if I had time, I would have got this to you. I had to just throw it out quickly to you without building you up to get it, to enjoy it. And that's why. That's why God says to you, I, I, I got to quit. That's why God says to you, think, think of 1 John 1 7. If we, 1 John 1 7, who walk in the light as he is in the light, the blood that cost him, his blood, thousands of animals, no, one man, it cost him his blood. 
then the blood of Jesus Christ, present tense, is what? Cleansing you from all sin. So we don't have to walk around trying to fix all our dumb thoughts and fears and faults and fancies. No, no. Don't waste your time. <laughs> you couldn't keep up with it. What to do is enjoy. Enjoy the shower. When you go in a sh- sometime you take showers or something like that, maybe. And when you do, what do you do? Go in the shower. And do you try to take the water and... Or don't you just let it fall on you? No. Don't you just let it fall on top of you? And, and then you tell all the dirt to go away, right? You know, and that's what you do. And the blood of Jesus Christ is what? <sighs> Falling. And that's why God's able to say, you're forgiven. And because you're forgiven, you understand you're forgiven, you're not your own, you're bought with a price, you're mine. Now why don't you just enjoy Understanding that, because it isn't going to be different, and you can think what you want and feel what you want and do what you want. That's where it is. If you're truly saved, you bet your boots, you're his. And he doesn't lose anyone that's what? Saved. Not a drop. They have to be saved. And they're either going to enjoy what he does or they don't. But boy, it's done. i got to quit. I hope I, what can I tell you? I wish I could have done this better for you. I think it's a magnificent reminder. What can I tell you?